podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome along to episode two of Euro Tales. Every club in European football has a story to tell and we're going to try and tell it to you. Pod friends, welcome along. We have a medium of experts and passionate fans in the know with another jam-packed episode. We feature one of the hottest minds in French football this week in chapter one. We explore what next for Monaco with Luke Enwistle from Get French Football News and the official Ligue 1 podcast. The French club finds itself at somewhat of a crossroads in what promises to be a busy summer. In chapter two, we're off to the Bundesliga. We explore the rags to riches story of Union Berlin. The Bundesliga has gone from also rounds in the lower divisions of German football to Champions League qualification. After a fairy tale season, saw them finish in the top four. In chapter three, Spurs recently announced the appointment of Australian Ange Postacoglu as their manager. We touch base with two Australians to get the lowdown on the former Socceroo manager, who is the first Australian to ever manage in the Premier League. Let's get right into it. Start in Liga 1. Another summer of transition is on the horizon for French giants Monaco. Two weeks ago, the club confirmed manager Philippe Clement would be shown the exit door. Monaco endured an underwhelming season, culminating in their failure to qualify for European competition. Clement joined the club in January 2022 and led the club to the Champions League playoffs last season. Monaco were in the top five in Liga 1 for most of the season, which would have secured them European competition for next year. With the finish line oh so tantalisingly close and the Liga 1 season approaching its end, Monaco ended their campaign with a disappointing one win from their last seven matches. The Principality Club slumped to sixth and just missed out on that precious European place. Rumours are abound the club may be turning to a Red Bull type of sellup. Let's hear from French football expert Luc Enwistle from Get French Football News and Monaco Live. Thanks for coming on the show, Luke. Yeah, I mean, where to where to start with Monaco this summer? Um, a big, big rebuild is needed. Probably the best place to start with is with uh, is with a manager, which currently they don't have after having sacked Philippe Clement. Um, there are lots of rumours, but very few concrete links, I'd say. Um, there's the big link to Jesse Marsh and uh, Gisel at Salzburg as well. So it feels as though with the arrival of the new sporting director as well, with uh, Thiago Scuro replacing Paul Mitchell, that they're kind of edging towards more of a Red Bull model. Um, and that's the kind of feeling, even though Mitchell has kind of said, you know, it's going to be the best man for the job, not just a kind of this kind of link to a Red Bull manager just because 
Mitchell's been in the Red Bull system and Skoro's coming from, from Red Bull Bragantino down in Brazil. So, uh, yeah, best place to start is probably with a manager um, and also having Thiago Skuro in situ because he is not due to arrive until the 1st of July, um, which is only two days before the, the club is getting back for pre-season. So there's a lot to be done behind the scenes and, and within the hierarchy of the club before um, I suppose the club makes concrete moves uh, to to bring in players in and, and notably to replace in players because that's always the way it is with Monaco. It's you react to your departures because uh, they have a squad full of players uh, that other teams, you know, often Premier League teams scout and want. Um, and there's always at least one or two big departures each summer. Uh, so you're probably looking at Axel de Sassi and Yusuf Fafana this summer. Uh, de Sassi obviously linked with Man United. Fafana, uh, a few of the, the leads have gone a bit cold on him, but um, still linked with quite a few clubs, including West Ham United. Uh, and then there's lots of other players who have very uncertain futures as well. The captain, Wissam Ben Yedda, who has been the main scorer of the goals for Monaco these past couple of seasons. He has one year left in his contract. It's not sure whether you know he will see that contract out. Uh, he's on a much larger contract than everyone else in the squad. So I think there's an unwillingness on Monaco's part to um, give him anything like uh, the deal that he currently has. Uh, so, I mean, you're looking at a centre-back to replace De Sassi, you're looking at a box-to-box number eight type to replace Fafana potentially, you're maybe also looking at a striker uh, to replace Ben Yedda, should he go, and, and that would be a big investment because to replace basically 20 goals a season is not an easy task. Uh, links to Ayuwahi and I think in the past following Balogun, but both would be very, very expensive uh, targets, especially with significant Premier League interest. Um and in, defend, in terms of defenders, there's a link to Tosin Aradabaya from, from Fulham. Uh, and then there's a couple, I'd say, equally pressing uh, places to strengthen. That's in goal and on the right uh, of midfield. So Alexander Nubel is not going to be making his move to Monaco permanent. He's returned to Bayern Munich and Mitchell's confirmed that he won't be coming back. Uh, Thomas Didion's loan from Satellite Club, Circle Bruges. Uh, it's not sure whether that will continue, but if it does, then the agreement has always been and, and will be going forward that he'd be a number two option. So yeah, Monaco are definitely in the in the market for a number one goalkeeper. Uh, that could be someone like Albert Lafont, but currently not too many links. Um, but yeah, then it's just in terms of who who goes. I mean, you could maybe potentially need a left back to replace Caio Enrique. Uh, should he go? Uh, Ismail Jacobs is being linked with the departure. So either way, you may be looking for either a first choice or a backup uh, in that area of the pitch. Right back, Vanderson probably has another year in him at Monaco, but you never know. Uh, there could be significant interest come the end of the window. Um, and then, yeah, the midfield I've already kind of spoken about. And then you're looking at the right midfield because Crepin Dieta uh has not really nailed down that position as they maybe would have hoped. Uh you've also got Jelson Martins there who's been basically isolated from the first team in recent weeks and has been training on his own, uh not been making it into the match day squads. So obviously he's not counted on uh going forward, or at least he wasn't by Clement. Maybe a new manager comes in and has a reevaluation of the situation, but he hasn't he hasn't shown a lot these past eighteen months, let's put it, let's put it that way. Um, so yeah, a right midfielder is also probably on the list. Uh, you, you're looking quite healthy on the left hand side with Alexander Golovin signing a contract extension, and there are a few expectations and you know 
a little bit of optimism that Minamino will have a much better second season after a disappointed first season. Central attacking midfield, you're not wanting to uh, prevent Elias Benzikir's progress. So he's someone that you want to be starting as often as possible. So I don't see them strengthened in that position. And then, yeah, your, your striker position. bolo has been great this season. Uh, but what is time from Borussia Mönchengladbach has shown is that he's quite injury prone and he did have a significant injury in the run-in and, and missed a significant number of games, uh, which coincided with a, a massive downturn in form. So, yeah, I think you need at least one striker. Volland could go as well, apparently. So this is this is an area of the pitch that you're looking for maybe one recruit, depending on your outgoings, maybe two. But yeah, lot to do at Monaco. Huge uh, task there to regenerate this squad, uh, to turn it over, to sell the players that are of, of good value and who have kind of reached the end of their cycle at the club. Um, but yeah, before you get to the players, you need to sort out the hierarchy and you need to get a manager in notably. And I'm sure, you know, it'll, it'll help when school rows through the door. But um, yeah, it's uh, we're not yet there. And um, yeah, big, big, big summer ahead. And they could do with uh, getting on with it relatively quickly. Thank you, Luke. A busy summer ahead for Monaco, both on and off the pitch. Luke is one of the most prominent French football experts that covers the beautiful game. He's regularly featured on the official League One podcast, The Guardian and Sky News, just to name a few. His Twitter handle is in the show notes, so get his talents in your life. Luke will be highlighting some of the talents emerging from League One this transfer window as the summer goes on. Hope to have you on again, Luke. Get French Football News, a great source. For all the information you need from France, get German Football News. All there, all on Twitter. Get involved, get listening to it. They also have a daily show out now on Get Football News, which covers developing transfer window stories by the day. Monaco, Marseille and PSG are all changing managers this summer in Ligue 1, meaning a summer of transition beckons for some of the cornerstones of French football. What made Monaco's demise to Toulouse on the final day of the season even more frustrating was the fact that Lille drew with Troyes. So if Monaco had have won, they would have secured a conference league spot. Losing the final three games of the season leaves a sour taste for Monaco lovers. But with separation from Clermont comes opportunity. If they get the summer market and managerial appointment correct, they can come out swinging next season and get back to challenging at the higher echelons of Liga 1. You're listening to Eurotales, where European football stories are explored one at a time. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Now, to the brilliance and the magic of the Bundesliga. Now we're off to the Bundesliga, to a club you may not have heard much about in recent times, but I'm sure you will with the season forthcoming. It is, of course, Union Berlin. They have gone from basement dwellers to Champions League qualification. So Union Berlin have just enjoyed a fairy tale season. Founded in 1906, they are a club with a challenging and interesting past. When the Berlin Wall went up in 1961, Germany was fractured. Union found themselves in the third tier of Eastern German football. In 1966, they fought their way to the top of the division on the eastern side of the footballing divide. 1968 was another year of celebration for Union. 
they managed to win the East German Cup. But alas, this was to be the last sweet taste of success for a while. Hertha Berlin emerged as the most prominent footballing force in Germany's capital Berlin, when fears of the millennium bug dominate the headlines in the year 2000, Union won promotion to Bundesliga 2, suggesting a sleeping giant may be finally awakening from the slumber. Even though they were a third-tier side, they still contested a domestic cup final against Schalke. Despite losing the showpiece, they managed to secure European spot for the first time in their history. By making the final, they got a golden ticket to the UEFA Cup. The glory years had not arrived just yet though, and in 2004 and 2005, the club suffered back-to-back relegations. The following year saw another power rise like a phoenix in East Germany. Union Berlin watched on with envy as RB Leipzig stormed through the divisions to make it to the Bundesliga just seven years after their inception. Still the bridesmaids, Union had to wait until the promotion in 2019 from Bundesliga 2 to finally reach the promised land at the top table of German football. It was no more than the supporters deserved. People are paid to donate blood in Germany and in 2004 Union supporters queued in their droves to give their own blood so the club could afford registration with the Football Association in Germany. They also pull in hard labour. According to the official Bundesliga website, their loyal supporters clocked up 140,000 hours of free labour to renovate their stadium, taking DIY to a new level, and the stadium opened its doors in 2009. The last three seasons again to Orsi Lawns in France, has been one of constant progression for Union. A 7th place finish, followed by a 5th place finish, and this season they went one better, gatecrashing the top four to secure a precious Champions League place. This meteoric rise for Union, conjured by manager Urs Fischer and his henchmen over the last five years, is a remarkable one. Berlin is known for turning players from rough diamonds into fantastic, well-rounded footballers. When you consider how this club has battled through to upset the Appelkart in German football, it is quite remarkable that manager Urs Fischer is not lauded more. Perhaps that's just the way he and Union like it. You get the feeling this Euro tale may not be finished just yet. Keep an eye out for them next season. Union Berlin and Urs Fischer are in the Champions League. What a truly remarkable story Union Berlin are giving their loyal supporters. A season of mixing it with Europe's elite beckons. A fantastic achievement. If you want to learn more on the rise of Union, Kit Holden, a Berlin-based journalist, has a fantastic book covering the extraordinary rise of the club. The ground is mostly a standing venue, a throwback to the Colosseums that footballers used to battle in. They are a unique club in many ways. The president, the board, are all lifelong fans. They are the complete opposite of a commercial operation. The rise to prominence means they are a hipster choice for most in German football. 
keep an eye out for their manager, Urs Fischer. He won two Swiss titles with Basel before becoming Union coach. Now to the Premier League, a look at Ange Postacoglu at Spurs from a land down under. Now we take a look at Tottenham Hotspur in the Premier League with a view from the land down under. Spurs begin a pre-season tour of the Asia-Pacific very shortly and they will be coming to Australia to play in Perth. Of course, they have an Australian manager now with Ange Postacoglu leaving Celtic after his reign of terror north of the border. The appointment of Ange Postacoglu was treated with some disdain in some quarters. Maybe an underwhelming appointment for some Spurs fans. But let's balance that argument. Spurs have a manager who's acquitted himself well in every job he's done. He is loved and revered in Australia. Australians love the Premier League. So let's hear from two of them now and their reaction to Ange Postacoglu joining Tottenham Hotspur. From leading the Brisbane Roar to lift the cup in 2011 after a handsome record of only one loss for the season and a 36-game record-breaking unbeaten run to becoming the manager of the Celtic in 2021 to take them to win the Scottish League Cup that season. Ange Postacoglu is no stranger to success and silverware. Growing up with the Spurs as my favourite team from a young age, living in Australia, the art of soccer was often frowned upon by those not as cultured about the world's game as I was, with thanks to my old man for feeding me insights into the exquisite feats that the EPL can deliver. I've been hooked on the sport that millions enjoy seasons in and out. The excitement of knowing that my club will be coached by an Australian giant in the football community and the very first Australian to be crowned a Premier League manager is something that we all should be proud of as Australians. Not only will having Ange at the reins help guide the Spurs to what I truly believe can be a top four contender for the 23-24 season, he's going to be dramatically increasing the interest of all Australian EPL fans purely on his connection with the place that I call home. We're in for a thrilling season ahead with Big Ange in the driver's seat. Can't wait for the first kickoff with him as manager. And fingers crossed with his guidance, my beloved Spurs can be a force to be reckoned with for many years to come. Come on, you Spurs. Uh, I think first off with the Ange Postacoglu appointment at Tottenham, I think it's just amazing. That's my initial sort of reaction as an Aussie sports fan, uh, as someone who was a long-time football fan and then went away from the game for a little while. Um, and Ange being one of the, the forces, I guess, that brought me back to watching it with his time uh, at Celtic. I think it's incredible. Uh, he's always been this manager for me, this presence in in Australian football where he's drawn me back to the game whenever I've drifted away. I remember I was never that bought in on the A-League, but I keenly remember tuning in to follow his Brisbane Raw side as they went after their different records and the type of football that they played was incredible. Uh, some of the best, I think, that's ever been played that I've seen um, in the A-League. And it's interesting, you know, when you read through, uh, I was just doing a little bit of reading before recording this about, you know, so he starts at Brisbane. And one of the things is, you know, he rebuilds that list, you know, by churning over players and stuff. He does the same thing when he goes to victory. Uh, he rejuvenates 
uh, Yokohama in Japan and helps them win their first title in ages and then goes to Celtic. And, you know, a lot of the sentiment that came out of that, you know, his early time there was he was getting rid of players and bringing in new players. And, he, you know, he's got this really strong identity, I suppose, to how he wants his teams to play. That That's something that, to me, comes across really strongly. He, he has this well-formed identity of how he believes the game should be played. And he's more than happy to totally overhaul a squad uh, to fill it with players who he believes can play those roles um, to help his team achieve uh, what they need to achieve. And I had drifted away from the sport for a long time. And I have to say that I tuned in one evening to watch. I've sort of always been a bit of a casual Celtic fan, um, even in my time away from following the sport and tuning in one evening and seeing his Celtic side um, dismantle. I can't even remember who it was in, in the Scottish Premier League, but the way they played just made me think, my goodness, this is how the sport should be played. This is how football should be played. That relentless press all over the ground. Players like Dyson Maeda, who I think def- like define the style that he loves to play, they just drew me back in and it just made me think, this is how it should be played. This is how the sport should be played. And, and so I really admire him for that. And it's going to be incredible to see whether that can translate at this next level. It's incredible that we've got an Australian manager. We've had Australian players and that sort of thing go over, you know, play high-level sports in other countries um, throughout history. But to have a manager, that's like the brains behind the operation. I think that's that's massive. That's a monumental moment for Australian football to have one of our own in that position, um, in charge of one of the you know the big brands, one of the big organisations, one of the biggest clubs. It's huge, and I'll be fascinated to watch from afar to track the progress to see if the Ange way can translate to the Premier League, to see how he overhauls that that squad and, and shapes it in his own image, and and how he you know pits his wits against the world's you know best managers at that level. I think it's really exciting, and I think it's a huge moment, um, not just for Australian football but Australian sport. I think it's it's massive, really massive, and um, hugely, hugely exciting. So I, I can't wait to see how it goes. Euro Tales. Euro Tales. To Chris and Jake. As you can see, this is quite a big deal in the land down under. Australia's first ever Premier League manager will begin his tenure on home soil. His first game in charge will be against West Ham on July 18th in Perth, Western Australia. The 57-year-old has done the hard yards to get this opportunity. For us Europeans, people far removed from the football culture in Australia, it is hard to fully appreciate just what the era of Ange means to Australians. The Premier League is an omnipresent source of entertainment down under, Yes, Australians can't attend games every week, but what they can do is get up at ungodly hours to feast on every game of their beloved team. Subscriptions to watch football are relatively cheap in Australia compared to the extortionate prices people in the UK and Europe are fleeced to pay. When Ange was appointed new sports manager 
some eyebrows were raised. In some quarters, there are doubts as to whether the former Socceroos coach is the right man for the job. Can he turn a club around that has been on a downward spiral in truth for a number of months now? Spurs have tried the established names in Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte. They both did not work out, despite a squad laden with international star power. Yes, Ange has not managed in England, so obviously that is somewhat of a risk. But what he does do is play with high-intensity attacking football, much to the mould of the Spurs' way. Time will tell whether certain pundits are forced to eat their words in a similar vein to when Postacoglu silenced the doubters in his first season at Celtic. Let's revisit Ange and Spurs later in the season. Well, that's all we've got time for. Thank you so much to all our guests for their insights and time. Their Twitter handles are in the show notes. Give them a follow. Luke is a wealth and prime reference for everything about Liga 1. And Jake from Australia has his own podcast and covers several sports. Please subscribe and rate our show so we can continue to grow and give you a break from that tedious transfer rumour mill. Until next time, be well. Thanks for listening. Don't miss us between episodes. Simply follow our socials, links in the show notes, or simply search at EuroTalesPod on Twitter. EuroTales. Podcast Network.